Hey there, you're listening to the Soul Survivor New South Wales podcast. Here is some great Bible teaching from our More Than a Song 2016 conference. Introducing Matt Destry speaking on the life of David. For more information, go to our website, soulsurvivornsw.org.au. Enjoy! All right. Hey. Hey. Who enjoys camping? <laughs> Some of you are like, definitely not. After this week, definitely not. Um, <clears throat> the one thing that we didn't get to do here is have a fire. Um, and... The reason fires are good is because when you're camping, it's the place where you cook your food. It's, yep, marshmallows, s'mores and all of that. Thank you. Any more cooking tips? <laughs> Damper. <coughs> potato. Oh, yeah, potatoes. Anything else? Bacon. Wouldn't matter. You could be. You could be. You could be cooking like burning a rubber tire, and you'd say bacon. There's a little. There's a little conference happening down here. What else would we like to cook in a campfire? Sacrifices. Well, yeah. I guess so. <laughs> like, if you want to get super Old Testament on, about it, you know, you can. You can slaughter an animal and cook it on an altar and at least all the priests get fed that way which is a good thing so (laughs) all right (laughs) all right campfires they cook your food but they also keep you warm when you leave this place today I want to encourage you this morning that there's going to be no warmer place, no better place for you to run to than the presence of God. There are so many things, and in this like camp of life, you're going to be out and about, and the fire of God is going to be the one thing that you're going to return to over and over and over again. If you run away from it, you're going to get cold and you're going to get hungry. And I think this morning, through this word, what the Lord would encourage all of us off of the back of what Jeremy spoke to us about last night is always run towards, always go towards. There will be 99 reasons why you feel like you should run away from the presence of God. But in every single season, in every single situation, not just when we gather and not just when we sing, but every single day, run towards him. Um, The... I guess the hole in my game over the last couple of days has been I've shown you a really beautiful side of David and we haven't really explored the dark side of his life. Um, I did allude to the fact that we talked about 1 Samuel 16 and talked about how David goes and um, he's anointed to be the next king and then I sa- and I said, oh yeah, and then 18 chapters of misery follow his call but then we didn't actually talk about any of that. 
But what we learn in the life of David is things don't go amazing just because you're the king or things don't go all of a sudden brilliant. You don't have the you don't get the special source of no problems or you know because you're anointed or because the holy spirit's on you or because god's given you a job to do things sometimes i think most of the time get harder rather than easier um and there is a there's a situation that he has when he falls into the same trap of saul um, we remember we talked about the Valley of Elah on Thursday night and how the Israelites were, they were, they were petrified and they were frozen in fear. They were frozen in anxiety um, because of Goliath and because of the Philistines. And we talked about what that feels like to feel trapped and frozen and unbelieving that God's done amazing things in you over the last couple of days. But in 2 Samuel, um, David himself becomes um, a victim sometimes of his own success and a victim of his own um, situation when he walks up one day when all of his army is out fighting a battle that he's not at. The Bible tells us that he is, um, he is at home when all of his army, all of his leaders, all of his fighting men are away fighting a battle and David for some reason feels to not go with them this time. It's the time in the year when they go to war and he's not gone to war. He's stayed at home. He's chosen to not step into, he's chosen to not be a warrior this time. And as he stands up on the roof of his beautiful palace that he built and he gets to overlook the entire city of Jerusalem all around him with a big wall around the outside, all of his fighting men, all of his army are away and he spies a woman. And he sees her. Now, you might think, well, what's she doing up there? Well, she's up there doing, having a bath. And now, in those times, you didn't have a bathroom like you and I have. You didn't really even have an ensuite. You did a lot of those kinds of things, cooking, cleaning, and all of that on the outside. David was privy to seeing everybody's private world because of the position that he was in. And he sees this beautiful woman, and he desires her. And she is already married. She has a husband, and she is not his. And he takes her for himself because when you're the king and you're a man in power, you can pretty well do whatever you like, even if you've been anointed by God, even if you're on that same track. And that should be a warning for all of us. It should be a warning for me. It should be a warning for each of us that as you continue on, you continue to journey with Jesus, it doesn't stop you from these things kind of derailing you every now and then if, um, if you allow it to. And so... Um, he takes her as his own and then organizes for her husband to be put on the front line of the battle that David's not even at and her husband is killed and it covers up his sin. So David goes from being the anointed king, the celebrated, beautiful worshiper, the man after God's own heart to one who is an adulterer and a murderer in, in, one, in one episode in one story. And we could spend all morning talking about that. Um, and we could spend all morning talking about why David got into that situation, how he came to be in that place, what were some of the things that he did wrong in order to get him there. And all of those things would be really, really helpful for us. But what I really want to focus on this morning is David's response 
to his situation. Because if there's one thing that I know, each one of us is going to leave here today and we are going to fall short of the ideal that we set for ourselves and we're going to fall short of the ideal that God has held, held for us. And the thing that we do in that situation is so important. Because the driver for all of us, if the fire of God is here, when you make a mistake, the thing that you're going to want to do is run away and move away from that. And what I want to encourage us to do this morning when you make a mistake is to move towards God and move towards His plan and move towards the fire of His presence over and over again because that's one thing that never runs out. So David's done this thing and he thinks that he's gotten away with it, right? He thinks, this is awesome. No one's found out. Uriah, the lady Bathsheba's husband, has died and nobody knows that I put him on the front line and that he was killed. So now I can take her as my wife and nobody's going to know and it's all going to be sweet. I might even look noble, but you know, because I took pity on her, because her husband died and I brought her into my family, you know, like make something really bad, look super holy. None of us would ever do that. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan's a prophet. David is uh, blessed by people that have the word of God in them, and he's blessed by people who speak the word of God all around his life. He had the prophet Samuel. Now he's got the prophet David. Um, uh, he's got the prophet Nathan. My apologies. Um, bless those and thank the Lord for the people who speak the word of God to you. Because... There are those times when the Word of God comes into your life and it will happen over the next months and years and the Word of God will come to you and it will stop you and it will save you from doing a whole bunch of stuff and it may encourage you to do a whole bunch of other stuff and in years down the track, you'll be super thankful for that. The Lord, This is 2 Samuel verse 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there, there, were, two, there were two men in a certain town. I love this. This is the way that the prophet Nathan speaks to David. He tells him a story. Yes. There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. The poor man had nothing except for one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it. It grew up with him uh, it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Do you get the picture? There's a rich man in the town, like cattle for days, like sheep for days. He's got like all of that going on. And there's a poor man in the same town who's got nothing except one little ewe lamb. The little ewe lamb grows up with his family. It's definitely not a sacrificial animal. It is an animal that's like one of his children. It sleeps in the same bed as him. It eats off of his plate. And um, a traveler came to the rich man. Now, when a traveler comes into your town, the custom is and the hospitable thing to do is to take something of what you own, take some of your food, sacrifice it on the barbecue, on the campfire with some marshes and present it to the traveler who has come. But the rich man doesn't do this. He says, um, the, uh, the traveler came to the rich man. Rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who'd come to him. And Nathan tells David this story. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing, had no pity. 
Nathan said to David, you are that man. You did that. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of God by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite, which is her husband, with the sword and took his wife to be your own. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. It's a strong word. And it's a word that I hope that you never have to hear from somebody. The Lord's saying to David, David, mate, I brought you out of nowhere and brought you into a kingdom. I gave you everything that you could possibly want. And you took the one thing that wasn't yours and took it for your own. That kind of reminds me of Genesis. I don't know why. And so what do we do when we've been found out? What do you do when somebody comes to you and says, hey... There's something going on. What do you do when something springs out of your heart, when something triggers you and you have a reaction that you did not expect? What do you do? This is what David does. Psalm 51. David, true creative, he writes about it. Then he probably Instagrammed it. Have mercy on me, O God, he said, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. This is David's song to God when he's been presented with what he's done. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, he says. I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only, he's talking to God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother Mother conceive me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. So God, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from me and blot out my iniquity. And this is the word for this morning. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He says in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. An amazing response to a pretty big reveal. Something that happened in the life of David. I mean, he's gone all the way to the edge, all the way to murder, all the way to adultery. His life has turned upside down and David still chooses to run to the fire, run towards and not away. 
He could have run. He could have, he could have hidden. He could have renounced his kingship. He could have gone in a million different ways. But God in his providence and in the plan and the purposes of God had him tracked towards the very place where he knew he could get healing, towards the very place that he knew he could get mercy, towards the very place that he knew he could find compassion. And that's what we've got to do as, as, we, as these, roll, these weeks roll out and tumble out, the months tumble out after you leave this place, encourage you to walk Walk towards the place where mercy is to be found, towards the place where compassion is going to be found, and not away because everything within you is going to want to hide. Everything within you is going to want to run away. But I love what he says in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to what? Your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. He tells us two amazing things about the Lord right there. Tells us that he has unfailing love and tells us that he has great compassion. The Lord Jesus has so much love. It's unfailing for you. Unfailing love over your life. Great compassion over your life. Compassion, care, mercy, tenderness, kindness towards you. You know his face is toward you. His face is toward you. His heart is for you. And, and anytime anybody does anything, what he wants is for them to turn to him and walk toward him. You can, you can bet on the love and the mercy of God. You could put everything on it. This is what David does. He throws everything away and says, God, if you don't have mercy, then it is game over for me. If, if, if you weren't compassionate, it is, I'm finished. I am done. But because of the Lord's great love, Lamentation says we are not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It comes to us again and again and again. And he says in verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, but surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You desire wisdom in the inmost place. You feel kind of torn, don't you, as a human sometimes, as someone who's you know, wanting to do the will of God and the purpose of God, and yet there's this parts of you that just want to do everything opposite to that, and you feel a little bit like you're on the rack of life. You know, you're getting stretched, pulled in one direction towards the purposes of God, and pulled in the other direction towards whatever your flesh wants or whatever that, those parts of your heart wants that are, that, are, that, are, that are kind of desiring its own thing. It's this paradox of being a believer, of being somebody who follows Jesus because you have this desire, God, I want to do everything for you. I want to give my heart to you, my life, my soul to you. And then the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is how many things you could, <laughs> how many ways that you could sin and rebel against God before breakfast. You know, it happens all at the same time all in one person. And we think to ourselves, man, how do I get out of this? The Apostle Paul said it. He said, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? The good things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. Man, it's a paradox of being a follower of Jesus. But I love where David goes with this. He sends, cleanse me with hyssop, I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, God. 
You know those times when you just want to hear something good? You just want to hear some good news? You just, like, you've just... It's just been going over and over and over, and the record player's been going around, and it's just like bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. There's a part of you that just goes, God, let me hear joy and gladness. And he says, let the bones you've crushed rejoice. So there's something about your brokenness and about your vulnerability before the Lord moving towards the fire that releases beautiful worship. The best worship doesn't come from people who have it all together. The best worship that delights the heart of God comes from a broken spirit and a broken heart. Crushed bones, they're the ones that rejoice. It's like when God crushes your bones, when you're broken, it releases this beautiful fragrance, this aroma. Why? Because God wants to see you suffer? Absolutely not. It's because the way that we get to the fire and the way that we move towards God is when we realize and we, we give up trying to be him. When we give up trying to have it all together and being the most holy person around. The moment that you say, God, I can't do this, is the moment he goes, amen, and let's go. It's what we've been saying over the last few days. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. The best creativity comes out of moments of honesty, not out of moments of trying to be like cool or trying to write something like rad. Just be honest. And so there's a remedy for this. It's in verse 10, 11, 12, 13. I can't believe David's boldness here. I mean, he has just royally and royally, like really royally, stuffed it. Like demolished it. Like, like this is, it's a, it's a, like it's a life killer. Like it's a, there should be no return from this point. And yet David walks to the fire, gets close to compassion. He moves towards the mercy of God. He moves towards love. And you know what he says? <laughs> God, will you create in me a pure heart? Would you create in me a pure heart? Why? Because he knows that that's what God looks at. He knew that right from the beginning when they chose the eight boys and they stood them all up and Eliab, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. Look, he's tall, he's beautiful, he's, he's amazing, he plays breakaway, he's huge. He eats nine wheat bix for breakfast and do not consider his appearance or his height for the Lord has rejected him. The Lord does not see as man sees. The Lord man sees with outward appearance, but God sees with his heart. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Start again with me. Create in me a pure heart. Like create, like start with nothing and make something. Do you know, only God can do that. He's the only one who can create something out of nothing. 
there was a couple of scientists and they challenged God to a duel. They said, hey, God, I reckon, well, you know, you made, you made um, people out of dirt like you did with Adam. Um, we think we can make people out of dirt too. And God's like, no worries, challenge accepted. And so they gather some dirt together and they start making a man. And God's like, whoa, 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 get your own dirt. He's the only one who can create something out of nothing. It's a good joke. This was getting a bit heavy, wasn't it? (laughs) He goes, Matt, the sad sack, you know, like, tell a little joke, it's all good again. He's the only one who can start with nothing, but that's exactly the thing that God wants to work with. He works with nothing. And if you're trying to be something, he can't work with that. Jesus himself, Philippians 2, made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. So therefore God exalted him to the highest place, you know. So he says, create in me a pure heart, God. I know that's the thing that you look at and that's the thing that you value because you see with your heart. So God, with nothing, that you, with, with the complete sum of zero that you've got to work with, will you please create something new? And the thing is this, that's got to give you hope. It's got to give you a sense of joy and purpose for your life and mine because on our most honest days, we look inward and we don't find much there. But that's exactly what God wants to use to build your life into something for his glory. It's exactly what what he wants to use to build a temple for him to dwell in, a temple of the Holy Spirit, where he gets free reign to build exactly the kind of life, exactly the kind of house that he's going to live in, in you. And David goes on, I'm, I think he's scared because he saw the way that when Saul um, walked away from God, that God took the Holy Spirit away. And remember, we talked about that at the end of one, well, in the middle of 1 Samuel 16, the Holy Spirit comes on David, and the Holy Spirit like anoints David, empowers him for the work that he's about to do. And at the very same time, the Spirit leaves Saul, and then that evil spirit comes and dwells in Saul. That's when David gets his, like, gets his wedding singer gig, and he comes in, plays the harp. There's... Um, he's worried, I think, that God is going to do that again to him. So he says in verse 11, don't cast me from your presence and take your Holy Spirit from me. Please, God. Now, it's amazing to me that he doesn't ask for anything else. God, please don't take away my palace. Please don't take away my my things. Please don't take away um, my life. He doesn't even say that. Please, God, don't kill me. The one thing that David honors most and finds most precious to himself is the presence of God. Because that's the one thing he asks for God not to take away. This is what I love about David because he can do the like the worst stuff, like the worst stuff. And yet, underneath it all, there's a passion and a desire to move close to the fire towards the presence of God. He can still run to God after all this. Don't cast me from your presence. And he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Another bold one, like far out. Restore to me joy, God, like bring it back. Bring back that sense of 
joy in your presence. Revive me because of your salvation. Bring me up out of the situation that I'm in and let me hear joy and gladness. Let me see some good things. Restore to me joy because I know that I'm saved, because I know that I've been set free, because I know I'm standing right next to the fire, because I know that this is not fatal for me, but that I can continue to walk with you and continue to be used by you and continue to live in relationship with you and and your spirit and your presence is still on me and with me. So restore to me the joy because of all of that. I think that's a promise for us. I think that's a promise for you. He can restore your joy. And then I love it, verse 13. Man, just the journey goes going. And then he says, and then I'll teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will turn back to you. Whoa, David, you only just got done sinning two seconds ago. And now you're saying, oh, yeah, and I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to teach everyone how not to do it next time. Yeah, well, I guess he's got like life experience. But like, it's crazy because he's just, feel, he's just got done with saying, creating me a clean heart. Um, you know, don't cast me from your presence. Restore to me joy. And then I'm going to be the teacher. I'm going to tell everyone about how not to sin anymore. You know, and sinners are going to turn back to you. But I think that's exactly what he wants for you and for me. You can start doing that right now. You don't need a long resume and a long history track record to start being able to bring others into the journey, to bring others, to get them close to the fire, to say, hey, come on, I've just met this God. He's compassionate. He's loving. He doesn't count our sins against us as we deserve. He's so kind to us. Hey, why don't you come and meet him too? That's what David's saying. I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring sinners with me and we're going to, I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. Sinners are going to turn back to you. We're all going to start moving towards the fire together. It was like, you know, it was not very long at all for the, the demon-possessed guy on the other side of the lake. D- Jesus and his, and his disciples head over across there, and he's, he's, he's possessed by a legion, like an army of demons, an army, like he's completely riddled with it. He's breaking chains, cutting himself with rocks, living in, living in a cemetery, and he comes down. Jesus delivers him so beautifully and so graciously. And a few bacon um, things happen at that point in time. The um, pigs run down into the creek and die. Bacon tray goes straight down. And at that point in time, the demon-possessed man says, Jesus, let me come with you. And Jesus immediately commissions him, says, hey, go into all those towns and tell people the thing that the Lord has done for you. What story will you be able to tell about what the Lord has done for you this weekend? Can you leave this place with a story to tell of something that Jesus has done for you? Teach transgressors his ways. Sinners, bring them back. You might have given your heart to Jesus for the very first time this week. This is for you as well. This is especially for you. What has the Lord done for you this week? And how can you bring people on that journey? Because, you know, only God can create something out of nothing. And this week has been an amazing experience for me. It's been an amazing experience for you as we've watched God do so many different things. And I want you to know this morning that no matter where you're at and no matter where you end up in a week, a month, a year from now, you can still borrow the words of David and say, create in me a clean heart. 
created me a pure heart. You can run towards the fire. You can move towards his compassion, move towards his unfailing love. You can bank on his faithfulness to you. He will never leave, never forsake you. And so knowing that, why don't we stand together and enjoy his presence this morning?